Amen. You may be seated, church. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn, turn with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you do not own or have a Bible with you, all you have to do is lift up your hand. One of our ushers will put a, uh, put a Bible in your hand. If you don't have your Bible with you, just lift your hand up, and one of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Feel free to take that with you. John chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 18. John chapter 20, verse 11 through 18. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. And I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. That is God's word. Pray with me, church. Father, God, you are better to us than we deserve. And so I need you now in this moment, God. I need you to speak through my mouth, to speak through my vocal cords, God, to speak through my mind, God. None of me and all of you, Father God. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from your word today. I pray right now that, you, God, you would soften our hearts, God, to hear truth right now, God. I pray, God, that you would do something that only you can do by the power of your spirit. Save some even today, God. Encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ. Reach to the young people who are under the sound of my voice, God. Shape us into your image not so that we leave this place not just excited, God, but changed. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we just finished a longer series through the book of Acts. We preached line by line, verse by verse through the entire book of Acts. And we ended the chapter last week, and so we're starting a new kind of short series today called Be Bold. Some of you may remember Pastor Jake preaching the last chapter of Acts 28, and he reminded us that although it was the last chapter of the book, it is really still the beginning of the story. This grand story of God making all things new, of his kingdom ruling and reigning in our lives and transforming us into his people, this is the story of the church. And if you are a believer today, this is your story. This is our story. And the latter half of the book, especially the last chapter, we see the work of Paul and how God used Paul, and he became a vessel for us, uh, an example for us to, to look at 
And we see Paul doing in Acts chapter 28, the very last chapter, we see him doing what he was always doing, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to all who would hear. And Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, it'll be on the screen. It says that Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Proclaiming the kingdom, teaching about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, last week, Pastor Jake reminded us that it says in the text that he's in his own rented house, but Paul's under house arrest, y'all. Most likely shackled to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, and yet it, the word says that he is able to preach the gospel without hindrance. Pastor Jake called us to reevaluate the things that we call hindrances to the gospel, hindrances to sharing the gospel. If Paul could do it shackled to a guard, so can we do it with our busy schedules. But in verse 31, it says that Paul preached with all boldness. Now, it kind of makes sense that Paul would be claiming the, the good news of Jesus Christ with all bonus. He was an apostle. He started dozens of churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Of course, Paul would be bold. But what about us? How can we be bold in telling others about Jesus? How can we not emulate Paul, but how can we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and be bold in proclaiming his kingdom's reign? And that's what this short series is going to be about, about encouraging and equipping us to be bold. Now, some of my old church veterans, stay with me, because y'all have done sat through this a couple times before. Well, once a, once a year, maybe right before Easter, comes the evangelism message, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. So, okay, y'all going to act like y'all, this doesn't happen. Y'all better talk back to me. Now, most evangelistic messages and sermons that I've even preached before, if I was, one thing that I could do is I could start this series by reminding us that there are 5 million people in the state of South Carolina, that 3.6 of that 5 million have zero connection to the local church, how three-fourths of our state is lost. I could share that. I could share how the 7.59 billion people on the planet out of that, 3.14 billion people are considered unreached and untouched with the good news of Jesus Christ. I could remind you that 72% of our state and 41% of our planet doesn't have the good news. And we need men and women who will preach with boldness. That is one way I could start the series is reminding you of the numbers. The staggering reality is that there are people who don't know Jesus Christ, who don't know the truths that we sing and celebrate every week, and now, day in and day out. I could do that. I could tell you of the story of a brother that I met just yesterday, Ernest, who was at our, our cookout, who when I invited him to church, his first response was that he doesn't have anything to wear, and so he doesn't feel like he'd be welcome. I could tell you that there are people in Charleston, South Carolina, who've been trained in religion but have no idea what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Somehow they've got all the rules about what you should wear and what you should smell like and what you should do, but they got none of the information about how, what it means to live right before your God. I could break your heart with those stories as they broke mine as I sat with him and prayed and cried with him yesterday. But if we're honest, we know those stats, or maybe other ones. If we're honest, many of us have our stories of our own about the staggering reality of how people are lost 
and religious but have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us, we already know those things. And so I could tell you story after story, stat after stat, but the reality is those things are just momentary motivators. They might get you to do something today. They might get you to feel bad enough this week, but eventually that'll fade. Church, I'm going to submit to you today that at the root of all sustainable evangelistic efforts is the answer to the question, is Jesus good enough to share? At the root, whether this will become a lifestyle or just a fad, a lifestyle or just a program of the church, at the root of that is the answer to the question, your answer to the question, is Jesus good enough to share? Now, don't think in theological terms or propositional terms. No, think about your answer. Is Jesus good enough to you to share with others? Some of us know the name Billy Graham. Billy Graham is said to have spoken to more people about Jesus Christ than any other living person in history. Jesus Christ, Billy Graham shared the good news of Jesus Christ with more people than anyone else in existence, past, present, hopefully not future. He was an advisor to presidents, kings, and world leaders. He preached behind the Iron Curtain in some of the most remotest places on earth. But before Billy Graham was Billy Graham, there was a turning point in his life. You see, early in his career, in about his early 30s, graduated Bible college, was working for an organization called Youth for Christ. So he was a young kind of seminary graduate who was being sent across the world preaching about Jesus. Bible open, Bible in hand, preaching these fiery and charismatic sermons that he was known for. But one time, he was preaching in Altoona, PA. I'm going to be honest, I had to look that place up. Never heard of an Altoona, PA. If you're from there, I'm sorry. In his own words, he would describe this crusade as a flop. He was spiritually devastated. Didn't see the fruit that he would like to see. And at that moment in his life, he began to question whether he was even being capable of being an evangelist. Now, that may sound ludicrous to us because Billy Graham is Billy Graham, but right now, Billy Graham is just Billy. He's just a young man in his 30s wondering if he has this gift of evangelism, and he's preaching at a crusade in the middle of nowhere, and nothing is happening. Spiritual warfare is raging, and he is despondent. And to make matters worse, there was a young man named Charles Templeton who also worked for a Youth for Christ at one point in time. And Charles Templeton went to graduate studies at Princeton, and in his education, he began to question whether the Bible really was to be trusted. He began to question, can we really trust this book that was written by so many different people so long ago? Is it really relevant and true to our lives today? And Charles Templeton was a friend of Billy Graham and began to talk to Billy Graham about his doubts. And so Billy began to wrestle in the midst of despondency, in the midst of soul-searching his calling, comes this test of his faith, whether Billy Graham believed this word was true. Billy Graham had been preaching the Bible for years at this point, but had yet to wrestle in the depths of his soul whether he actually believed these things were true. Maybe some of you can relate, you being around church often, hearing these good things, being trained and taught to be a good person, but you've never really questioned in your heart whether these things are true. 
And in August 1949, that struggle came to an end. He walked out into the woods one night after wrestling for months, and he prayed a prayer that he recorded in his journal. He said, God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. And this was a turning point in Billy Graham's ministry in his life. A few weeks later, Billy Graham would then do the now historic 1949 Los Angeles crusade upon which a national platform was built, and he became the Billy Graham that we know today. But it all started with him wrestling with whether he actually believed these things to be true for him. You see, at the root of all of our evangelism strategies, the techniques and the tools, some of which we'll even share, they're not bad, but at the root of it all is the answer to the question, is Jesus good enough to share to you? Before Billy Graham could preach the Bible, he had to be convinced of its truth. And before we will share Jesus effectively, we must be convinced of his goodness. We must be convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and that is really good news. Not the goodness of the message, not the goodness of the principles, not the goodness of the way of life, but the person, Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you live to worship him and make him happy? Because if those things aren't true, then all the commands about sharing and discipling and going will seem as a burden to you, not as the very air that you breathe. There was a woman called Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8 tells us that she was possessed with several demons, and she was, those demons were cast out. But then she was also the first person to see Jesus alive. A former demon-possessed woman who isn't mentioned much at all in scriptures, we find her story in John chapter 20 and verses 11 through 18. Let's read the whole thing again. But Mary stood outside the tomb, verse 11 of chapter 20 of John, crying. As she was crying, she stepped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was just a gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go. Go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. I want you to look in at verse 18 closely. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Jesus' command was to go, and her response was, I have seen the Lord. A former demon-possessed woman was sent to give the apostles a message from God. Think about how ridiculous that sounds. 
She had no formal training, no credibility of her own, and yet she went not because she felt adequately prepared. She went not because she had the tools, not because she felt like people would believe her. She went because I have seen the Lord. You see, church, the reason evangelism seems like a task is because we very we take very few moments to look and reflect upon the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, who he has been in our lives. There was a prophet named Elisha in the Old Testament. Long story short, he made one of these kings angry, and so a king sent his army after the prophet Elisha to capture Elisha and bring him back. And Elisha had a servant that served alongside of him, and the servant was a little afraid because he saw all these chariots and horses coming at just these two men who had no armies and had no weapons, and they were a little afraid, at least the servant was. Pick up the story in 2 Kings 6.15. It'll be on the screen. It says, when the servant of the man of God, the Elisha servant, got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, oh, my master, what are we to do? And Elisha said, don't be afraid for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opens the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Did you catch what just happened? The king was sending an army against the prophet, and these two men... One had a vision of who God was. Another one was still learning. And so when the servant, the one who was still learning, saw this army approaching, he naturally got afraid. But Elisha said, no, there are more for us than against us. But the reality was Elisha did not call those chariots. Elisha did not call those chariots to be. His prayer was just so that the servant could see what was already there. And then seeing, he would draw courage from the spiritual reality that oftentimes goes unseen and unpondered. The spiritual reality doesn't get weighed on the calculus of wisdom and foolishness oftentimes, if we're honest. And we are so enamored and immersed in this reality that we can't see the greatest reality, the spiritual realms where God is working. And so evangelism seems like an inconvenience, not as a connection to eternity itself, not as an act of love and obedience. The source of boldness for sharing Jesus is a clear vision of him for ourselves. The source of boldness for sharing Jesus is a clear vision of him for ourselves. Young people, hear me. You do not need a degree. You do not need seminary training. You do not need to know every nook and cranny of the Bible, although those things are helpful. What you need, the one essential prerequisite, is I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I see Jesus. You have that, and you will be the world's greatest evangelist. Francis Chan had an example. He said, sometimes we don't realize what evangelism really is. So if you were to pick a partner to go evangelizing the streets, who would you pick? Many of us would pick the most eloquent speaker or the guy who maybe knows the Bibles or or knows the arguments the best. But if we understand what evangelism is, it's, it's reaching out to dead people and saying, come be alive. So let me rephrase the question. Who would you take to a graveyard with you to go bring somebody back to life? 
you might take the person who prays a little more. You might take the person who's enamored and in love with God because now you realize you need something better than lofty arguments. You need something better than complicated schemes and techniques and I got your moments. You need the presence and power of God himself. So whoever has that, that's who I'm going with. And the question is, is that you? Is that you? Are you walking with the reality of the presence and power of God? You realize what we are called to do is impossible on our own. We don't need eloquence. We don't need more tools and techniques. We need a clear vision of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. You see, as Christians, we are living in a constant moment of grace. If you know Jesus, think about this for a second. You are living in a constant moment of grace. Look backwards. What do you see? God saving you when you did not deserve to be saved. God loving you when you did not deserve to be loved. God being patient and gracious with you when everyone else would have abandoned you. Look forward and what do you see? You see the promises of God that are true, that will come to pass, that are giving you hope and strength day by day. And look around you right now and what do you see? God's people and his spirit dwelling within you, Christ himself walking beside you. So where can we go outside of this moment of grace where we have all that we need to tell somebody else how good he's been? If we look backwards, we see grace. If we look forward, we see grace. If we look around us, we should see grace. But oftentimes we don't. We see everything else but how good God is. And so like... Elisha, my prayer for us all is that God give us eyes to see. We may never be Bible scholars, although God may be calling some of us to be that. We may never be professional apologists, and although God may be calling some of us to be that. We may never be the most scholarly church around, but God, if we have a church full of people who seek Jesus clearly, what could we accomplish? phrase that the other way. If we had a church full of people who see Jesus clearly, what could we not accomplish? How can I not share Jesus? Look how good he's been. How can I not talk about him? How can he not come up in conversation? I don't care what you start the conversation about. The weather, the chairs, the furniture, your back, your pain. No matter where you start the conversation, I'm going to find a way to get to Jesus. Not because I've been trained enough, but because it's bubbling out of me to talk about him. And so as we begin this evangelism series, you may not hear much statistics. You may not hear... Many numbers and stories of guilt. At the end of the day, those things are temporary motivators. They will not last. But what will last is a clear vision of God at work in your life. And you just telling everyone else who will hear, I have seen the Lord. Let me tell you about him. I have seen Jesus. Let me tell you. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. I'll, I'll find out for you. But in the meantime, let me tell you about this Jesus who I love and who loves me. Before I close today, I, I don't want to take for granted that everyone in this place knows Jesus Christ. As I shared the story about my brother Ernest, he was trained in religion but had no idea about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so many of us are trained in religion. We know the rules. 
We know the things that we should do and, and shouldn't do, and we try to keep those as best we can. And so you may be in this place today believing that that's what it means to be a Christian, and that is not true. But praise God you're here today because you're going to hear truth. Look back at John chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. Having said this, she turned around, and look, at Mary Magdalene said, the Bible says that she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know who it was, Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, he calls her woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? And she still doesn't get it, so it says, supposing he, Jesus, was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him. See, she, she wanted Jesus, but she didn't recognize Jesus. And then you know what was the turning point for Mary? Jesus said her name. He didn't explain who he was. He said her name. He said, Mary. And immediately she recognized who he was and called her rabbi or teacher and embraced him. You see, that's, that's our story for some of us. We've been around Jesus. We are standing right next to him. We don't even realize it. You've been coming to church for years, and yet you don't know Jesus. You, you feel like you want him. You, you want some of the things that you've, you've heard about. You want this community and this relationship and this love and this eternity. You want these things. You are at the feet of Jesus his tomb, crying, thinking he's still dead. And so, dear unbeliever, if you are here today, do you hear Jesus calling your name? Do you hear him saying to you right now that today is the day for you to repent? Today, Don't leave. Don't think about it. Don't debate. You've tried all that, and it's ended you right back where you started. So today is the day that you take a step of faith and say, okay, I surrender God. I'm going to stop trying to earn it. I'm going to stop trying to work for it. I'm just going to let you do what you promised that you would do. Is bring me back to life. Is that you today? Before we leave, we're going to have a moment, an opportunity for you to respond. Don't miss that moment. Church, I want us to be bold in sharing our faith. I want to be more bold in sharing my faith. But that boldness is not going to come from confidence in, in anything. Not confidence in using a tool, not confidence in our arguments, not confidence in anything other than I have a clear picture of who Jesus is in my life. I see him. Because once you see him, all those other things don't matter. And that'll be the constant motivation for you to share Jesus to a world who needs hope. Pray with me, church.